You're listening to Fairweather Friend, a podcast exploring some of the truths behind Australia's climate change denial. I'm your host, Melissa Gray-Ward. Today, my guest is Stuart Braun. Stuart is an Australian author and journalist currently based in Berlin, Germany. He's produced audio documentaries for ABC Radio National, and his writing has appeared in Al Jazeera, The Saturday Paper, and more. More recently, his articles for Deutsche Welle and Le Monde Diplomatique have focused on the climate crisis. Stuart, thanks so much for speaking with me today. Pleasure. So as I mentioned, you've been writing about climate change denial in Australia and also the US and Europe. What can you tell us about the relatively high climate change denial in Australia? It's a highly politicised think climate change denial climate change isn't a belief it's uh it's not really an ideology either it's it relates to you know the, the propaganda campaigns um usually funded by the fossil fuel lobby in an attempt to throw shade at climate science and particularly you know it's been going on for decades uh, particularly the well-established idea that uh, anthropomorphic human-induced climate change is real and therefore that we need to stop burning fossil fuels. So we've had a, you know, we've had a, a, a highly orchestrated campaign to throw shade at that science um, and it's been particularly strong in Australia in the last 10 years, I'd say. You've got to look at this in, in the context of again, the, the broader political situation. And uh, in the late 2000s, you had a government, a new government, uh, a Labour government, which would, you would call the sort of centre-right, centre-left, sorry, government, um, who were, you know, after a long period of, of, of conservative government ruled by a guy called John Howard, who was particularly, whether he's a, not, he's an outright climate denier, he's pretty close, Um and he was particularly pushed back against renewables and has, you know, his whole cabinet had very strong ties to the mining industry, etc. So there was very little done uh, in, in the way of uh, climate change mitigation in Australia up until the election of this new Labor government um, in 2007, who, who were elected essentially on the back of a really strong um you know, one of their key policy platforms was around climate change, and particularly the institute institution of a uh, of a carbon tax, uh, which is a very, you know very progressive measure at that time. Uh, it'd been rarely done anywhere else in the world, and uh, also you know they were going to bring in a, a mining tax because at the time mining was booming in Australia, and um, and also you know set up a whole infrastructure of uh, clean clean energy, you know, uh, I think it was called the Climate Commission, um, but clean energy bodies and stuff uh, who they, you know, the government funded well and would initiate research into, um, you know, making a, a kind of deep cuts in carbon emissions and, uh, you know, and, and the sort of primary vehicle for that was going to be a carbon tax. Now, those policies did not last very long. The government was lasted about six years. By 2013, that, and there was a, a very strong campaign to have these policies revoked and to put another conservative government in. And it all came through the Murdoch media. It's well known that, that Rupert Murdoch, you know, is a very powerful 
influence in terms of his um, control of media all around the world. Mm. Uh, he's actually an American these days, but in Australia, he he still owns about seventy percent of the print media publications. And with uh, you know, with politicians like Tony Abbott, who was the incoming prime minister, who is an arch climate change denier, and it appears at a lot of climate change denial conferences, etc., uh, has strong ties to the mining industry, as do a lot of he, the the kind of what you call the hard right of the um, the Conservative Party, who have maintained the policies up until today. Anyway, all those policies were revoked. For that to happen, it was really important to have this powerful propaganda campaign uh, that was really high, was 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 run primarily through the Murdoch media. Um, but it, you know, there was a lot of doubt at a time where you know, with that the the previous the government that got voted in on the back of climate change, there was a real unanimous push that that, that there needed to be action, um, and and that did dwindle as a result of this this uh, climate scepticism, denialism, whatever you want to call it. Um, hmm. So so it was, you know, Australia is an example of a country where you can really double down on, on this kind of rhetoric and it can be be powerful and we're still feeling the effects today. Right, that's really interesting. So you're suggesting that the Murdoch media is really doing the politicians' bidding in a sense? Politicians and the me the, 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 the well, essentially... Conservative, uh, the what they call the Liberal Party, the, it's the Liberal and the National Party. It's called the Coalition. Um, they have very strong ties to the Murdoch media, and they have very strong ties to mining and resources companies that mm. want to maintain their power and want to be able to continue to do things like the Adani mine, for instance, mm-hmm. um, which is you know one of the will if it happens be one of the biggest coal, um, coal mines in the world. It's it's been very well established that it's not going to provide many jobs. There's no future in, of course, in coal mining. The coal price is rapidly decreasing and the future is one in renewables. But yet Australia is still pushing for these massive coal mines. Uh, and, even up, and even up to these huge bushfires, mm. um, you have the, the prime minister who, you know, is one is a guy who took a piece of coal into parliament quite recently. Yes. Um, two years ago. And... Uh, he he talked about climate hysteria, etc. It's always been the same line that's been going, as I said, back to John Howard, etc. Now you'll see the same thing being repeated in the Murdoch press, often by commentators who were previous previously politicians, um, who sit on board, you know, the board of the Mineral Council or whatever, like Matt Canavan, who um, you know is an arch climate denier. Uh, and is a very powerful. Um, he was the res- I, he was at the beginning of the year the resources minister who still tried to deny in the face of those massive Australian fires that this was uh, you know as a result of climate change the intensity of the fires as you know as has well been established they're they're burning for longer they they started as early as September last year which is you know the beginning of spring it's unprecedented hmm. it was a two thousand kilometer fire front essentially across the whole of southeastern Australia mm-hmm. and and yet this denialism continued and my point is is that this has been building up for 10 years and it's so entrenched and and the my, my argument has been that in fact most Australians support climate mitigation yes. and want something to be done about climate change but the the problem is is the Murdoch media has 
such a strong connection to the government and gives the government cover so they can continue these policies. And one of the major things has been in recent years has been, for instance, Sky News, mm. um, which was really well, wasn't a very powerful uh, voice in Australian media up until fairly recently, you know, say, say the late last 10 years. Mm. Um, but it's come into its own. And it was a guy called Lord Monckton, who is an English climate denier, who who goes around and appears at a lot of these conferences. Like uh, at the end of last year at the COP25 in Madrid, mm-hmm. there was an anti climate conference going on at the same time and he was there he was also in australia with tony abbott in 2011 saying we need a tv a, a platform like fox news in the u.s um in australia to stop the labor party mm-hmm. from instituting these quite radical climate mitigation policies and that platform was sky news and it's become very powerful and again it's the, the problem has been that the connection it, it between policy making <laughs> and the cover they are getting from this media hmm. is um, is 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 really strong, and uh, therefore it does it. it of course, it, it reflects minority opinion within Australia. Yeah. But that doesn't that it doesn't matter what the majority thinks. It doesn't at the moment. It doesn't matter how many people march on the streets, whether it's for Fridays for Future or whatever. This this power is so strong that it, working for the um, working to continue you know fossil fuel mining etc mm. on the basis of again it's the, the the essential ingredient has been to to throw a bit of doubt on the sciences to say well yeah it, it's happening but do we really know the extent are we willing to compromise you know economic growth etc 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 and that's a really and it's you know it's very sophisticated in that way. Right. And so, may I ask you, do you think Australia is being influenced by what is actually a global climate denial agenda? Well, that's, yeah, I mean, that's the point. That's what I've been written mm. about more recently, whereas um, I interviewed these journalists who are actually in Germany. Um, so that was a piece for Deutsche Welle, right? Yeah, this is a piece for Deutsche Welle. And there's a, there's a, a think tank called the Heartland Institute. Who, who became famous for um, working for the tobacco lobby for mm. Philip Morris right. in the 70s and 80s. And again, they their whole mission was to question the validity of the science uh, of, you know, basically, you know, the, the health effects of smoking. Mm. <laughs> mm. So it was a pretty insidious thing to do. Um, now... That's their mission with climate now, and that's their fun, fundamental. It's a very well. It's it's been funded in the past by Exxon Mobil, and um, I won't I won't guess at the other companies. That's one of them. But in the past, it's had major funding from fossil fuel companies. This th- essentially this American think tank, who are all around the world, and they were in Germany also trying to influence the agenda in Germany because. Um, you know, there's a there's a kind of I mean, there's already a commitment to phase out coal by uh, 35, which is probably too late. But um, there's also you know a, a, a try. There's going to be there's gonna, they're going to have to try and move away from diesel, mm. um, which is very powerful. The the automotive lobby here are very powerful. So anyway, this is an example 
these guys went in, and I, t- I mentioned that conference before with Lord, Lord Moncton. Mm. Um, it was the anti-climate conference at the Madrid COP, you know, the COP25. Mm-hmm. The, every, every year they have this um, climate summit. Yes. Which, which you know, where they, where they ultimately come to agreements. One of them was the Paris uh, Agreement of 2015. Um, and they were there, again, trying to sow doubt, etc. Um and they were actually, these guys went undercover and they said they were willing to pay 500,000 euros to the Heartland Institute to, um, and they said they were from an auto company, an automobile company, um, and to basically institute a propaganda campaign in Germany um, and to, you know, to use various YouTubers who are like, there's one woman who's the anti-Greta, <laughs> uh, Naomi Saad. Uh, I don't know how successful that was. Um, and her whole thing is like, you can't, the science, it, 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 you know, it's, it's climate change <laughs> science is not science, basically. She's trying to tell the kids she's a 19-year-old and um, this kind of thing, but also quite, a quite serious commitment to actually have scientists um, write things in newspapers and opinion columns and come out with research which is fabricated mm. uh, to basically, you know, on the, on the side of the, uh, you know, the, the diesel fossil fuel lobby in Germany, etc. So anyway, these guys have very strong links to Australia as well. And there's a think tank in Australia called the Institute of Public Affairs, mm-hmm. which is another free market, what they call themselves is free market, sort of libertarian, um, you know, hyper-capitalist, pro-capitalist think tanks who, you know, it's all about growth, profit, um, and climate change just gets in the way of that. So they've been working in Australia. They've worked, um, the, they've done other sort of anti-climate conferences where Tony Abbott, who was the former prime minister, who, who helped overturn all these um, policies I spoke about earlier, he has appeared with them. They have very strong links to the Murdoch media. All the Heartland Institute guys go on uh, in, uh, you know, appear in the Murdoch papers in the Australian writing columns. They're mm-hmm. also on, on Sky News. Um, and, of course, in America, the Heartland Institute is famous for um, advising Trump mm. on, clim- on climate. Wow. And, for, and they claim that they, um, they would, were behind him pulling out of the Paris Climate Agreement. Which is which is serious, you know, yeah. a serious amount of power. Yes, uh, when you've got the biggest um, uh, historical emitter in the world pulling out of the most important climate agreement that we have, and you have these kind of shady think tanks behind the whole thing. Um, but then, when you look deeper at their connections, again through media, it's not just Murdoch media; it's it's a lot of conservative media. But of course, Fox News is is the major uh, vehicle for this uh, in the U.S. But then you've got all these. I mean, it get it gets quite heavily right wing, you know, uh, mm. blaze news and stuff like that. A lot of these places are like vehicles for the alt right and stuff like that. And there's a whole anti science culture war that's going on that you're now seeing with the coronavirus as well. Uh, and it's the same kind of people who are coming out and also saying that uh, coronavirus is a hoax. Um, it's not real. It's being again. It's it's as they call climate. Uh, you know, people who promote climate science, they call them climate alarmists. Mm. Um, and, and they use these kind of terms and they're saying the same about, you know, we're all being alarmist about coronavirus. So it's 
it's it's a it's a it's a global thing and it's you know it doesn't just stop there there's just a couple of examples but there you see it in in the US Germany and, and Australia and um and of course Britain as well right yeah. yeah so it is very interesting this anti-science agenda as well and how you're saying how they're interlinked as well we're seeing many different examples uh the parallels between the climate crisis and the COVID-19 pandemic uh, yeah it's very interesting on that topic of language and how we speak about things in a more positive note, I guess there has been some changes in the media on how the, these issues are being communicated. So in one of your most recent articles for Deutsche Welle was titled Wildfires are Climate Fires. So how, we, how to talk about climate emergency global heating. So this was around not just referring to them as wildfires, but in fact calling them climate fires. Can, can we speak to that just briefly? Yeah, I mean, this this again again is 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 almost a reaction. There's certain people. There's a. There's, it started probably during the Australian fires, where um, a green an Australian Greens Party senator, um, Sarah Hansen Young, decided like herself. She said like we we can't call these bushfires. You know, mm. it's not because it implies that they they're naturally occurring. Yes. Um, and they're, you know, part of the everyday, and, and it's true that bushfires are naturally occurring, and they've been, you know, happening for for many thousands of years. They're part of, they're definitely part of the Australian landscape. Um, and the, but this is something completely unprecedented, as I touched on earlier. Mm. Um, and that we needed to, that it was important to draw an explicit link between the fires and what is causing them to be so intense um, and to burn so long and to cause so much damage. Um, and uh, so she decided to use the term climate fires, and particularly at that time. And she was also responding to all this stuff coming out of the Murdoch media where they, you know, they love to talk, they love to focus on arson, for instance. Yes. You know, that was the other thing. It was like, they've all been lit. Um, deliberately. And, deliberately. And Donald Trump and Donald Trump Jr. both retweeted stuff. Mm. In that was in the Australian the really? articles that were yeah articles that were debunked um, mm. as well because they completely exaggerated the um, the amount of uh, well the the you know the number of fires that were were lit by arsonists were like minuscule compared to the total amount of fires mm. etc. Anyway. You know, I forget the exact details of how that worked, but it was—I think it was debunked in, on the ABC, and and yeah. um, and and again, you had this global network who were all focusing on arson, um, and and it's happening now in, in the California fires as well. Or the other thing is forest management. You know, um, we've got to—you know—we we need to, you know, as Trump keeps saying, he's you know, said it in the last few weeks. Oh, we've got to, you know get rid of the leaves on the forest floor somehow and that's going to stop wow. these fires. Wow. And, you know, very similar to all the same talking points you heard in Australia as well. Sarah Hansen-Young was like, we've really got to be explicit about the origins of these fires. And, you know, and this does relate to what um, was said last year by, I mean, probably most famously by Greta Thunberg. Mm. She said, we, we can't talk about climate um change because it's the climate 
has changed. We're in the middle of a climate crisis, mm. you know, and then and then words like climate emergency were adopted and they, they actually became policy where um, we have governments, state governments, federal governments, we have the whole EU cl- uh, declaring climate emergencies. Mm. Um, and I th- think that language is really important because it is, uh, it's, a, it's, it's often is a battle of semantics and it's part of, it's, it's, it's deep sort of, um, it's, yeah, it's deeply ingrained in this broader kind of culture war that surround, unfortunately surrounds the politics of climate change. Mm. So um, it's been also this term climate fires, independently it seems, uh, from the people I spoke to in the States, they, they seem to say in the last few weeks, it was, it was Jay Inslee, who's the governor of Washington State, he said that um, we need to stop calling these, as they, they call them wildfires in the West Coast. At the time, the the whole of the West Coast, and it's, it's bad again, actually. There was a bit of a lull, but, you know, all three of the major states along the, on the coast, California, Washington State, and Oregon, were burning, and, he, you know, he said again that we have to draw, the, you know, a, a definite connection to the climate crisis and, and global heating. And, um, and, it's, and, you know, it definitely did go quite viral um the hashtag was picked up on twitter Hmm. and uh it definitely created a debate and uh you know and i think is is bringing to it bringing important attention to the origins of those fires and you know again it's (laughs) it's 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 gonna have to continue to be a central part of of what is a kind of yeah a media public relations war that is going to have to accompany any any actual commitments to to these targets, etc. Right. Yes. You mentioned global heating as well. I understand that the Guardian changed their house style guide, so the language that they use to exactly. both be more scientific and better communicate to their readers. So now terms like uh, yeah, global heating is favoured over global warming, for instance. So yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. That's right. That's, uh, I guess, yeah, interesting to observe and these subtle changes that are happening to make us think differently about the science, I guess. Yeah, and just to, just to, you know, like, ensure there's no ambiguity. That's the important thing. <laughs> because the, the whole thing has been about saying that there is, has been about, I mean, climate denial is about creating ambiguity around, you know, what people believe to be true about climate science um and this just sets up in their mind that uh yeah it's here it's real and it's happening um and there's no way around it and it just keeps reinforcing that so i I think it is important i think that's probably a good note to leave things on thank you so much for your time Stuart. i really appreciate it no problems take care Fairweather Friend is hosted, produced, and mixed by me, Melissa Gray Ward. Thanks for listening, and until next time.